I am John, Whoopi impersonator and a labyrinth warlock with the Warriors of the Stars. Along came Jason, my bearded friend. Fabulous secret ideas revealed to me the day he came to my house and said, I want to make a podcast! Only two others share this secret. Eric of the Loch Ness and Jacob. Together we started talking about toys, comics, games, and movies on the Super Awesome Geek Show! Hello, welcome to another exciting episode of the Super Awesome Geek Show. Today I'm here with our co-host Lee. Hello! And we have a special guest with us today, Kevin Bartini. Kevin, you're, you're a comedian out of New York City, right? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? I mean, do you do stand-up, things like that, like clubs and shows? Uh, yes, I do. That's, that's my... That's my um, I started out as a stand-up, and I've been doing that for... I don't know, about 14 or 15 years. And then uh, now what I'm doing beyond that is is I, is I do what's called audience warm-up comedy, which is um, basically anytime you see a, a television show with a live audience, there um, there is somebody that, a comedian usually, who's hired to perform to, before the taping to warm the audience up and get them rolling. So I do a bit of that as well as, you know, stand-up and, and everything else. That's kind of my bread and butter these days. I see. What, what shows do you work on? Right now, I'm on staff with The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. Okay. And um, last, uh, I was on with, with Colbert Rapport before that, and uh, The Daily Show before that, and I've also done some with um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and a show called Bunk, and one or two others. Nice. How do you break into things like that? It's, um, it, it comes from being a comedian uh, in the circuit, and it's, uh, it, it's really one of those things where you, you kind Kind of have to be invited in. Um, okay. you, you start, you know, you basically like what, what will happen is, is a comedian who's already working on staff um, will, you know, will, will usually be be the one to get you in. So another guy who was doing one of the shows brought me in as and recommended me to the producers as his backup. So on the days when you know his substitute, basically. Sure. Um, and then uh, and that kind of gets you a little bit of the experience. And then it's one of those things where you know they never you know they don't put a, a, a casting call out or anything like that. It, it's who do you know? And then producers and staffers move from one show to another. So you kind of make relationships, and your phone just rings. Um, I, I'm very fortunate that you know because I. Got Got in with with the Daily Show about four or five years ago. You know, Busboy, which is John Stewart's production company. You know, they produced also Colbert and now the Nightly Show. So I'm in with that production company and and the. The staffs on those shows, uh, I don't want to say interchangeable, but you know, there's, there's definitely guys who got hired up over at the nightly show who had been staffers at Colbert and who had worked at the daily show and stuff. So it's kind of a, a little family where once you're in, you're kind of, you know, you, you, and you do a good job. You're, you, you know, you're kind of in and you can find. Uh, find work. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, like, do you, is there ever? Is there always? I gotta ask. Is there always the hope that, like, you know, someone will be like, "Hey, we should put him on the show." <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would love to, um, you know, to to do, uh, you know, to to move into to become a, um, you know, a guest on the nightly show or you know, or or a correspondent or something like that. But yeah. it's, uh, you know, but that's something I would love just as a stand-up as well. Um, I don't know that it necessarily. 
uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that that I am any closer to to getting any of that than than somebody who isn't a part of the show. You know, I, I, I certainly, you know, I don't, I don't bother the producers and and uh, and people at the show about it. I, my my attitude is, I'm 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 lucky and grateful to have the job that I have, and it's part of. They know me. They know I'm funny. They know I'm here. I want to be. I want to be the guy who does a good job and keeps to himself, not because there are certainly guys out there who have a reputation of of uh, kind of being a little thorn in the side of the people because they're <laughs> always they're always pushing. When are you going to get me on the show? When are you going to get me on the show? Well, I I'm I'm happy with what I'm doing. I don't want to jeopardize that. My attitude, oh, yeah. is, you know, if they want me, they know I'm here. I really don't need to push them too too hard. But if they asked, I, I would leap at the opportunity. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, Kevin, uh, how quickly can you read an audience to know, like, how much warm-up are they going to need? Do you get some that are pretty chilly? Or I'd imagine that's a skill you build up pretty quickly. Yeah, it's it's a skill you build up. Um, you can, I don't know, you know, I can, I, can, I can tell within probably five or ten seconds how, you know, a, a lot about the audience and their energy level. I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate that the shows that I do mostly have a very dedicated fan base and mm-hmm. uh, people who want to be there. Because there are certainly television shows out there, you know, you're, you, when, you're, when you're looking at, like, you know, your daytime talk show type things. You know, I always, I, I've never, it's unfair, but I always use as, as the go-to example, like a Wendy Williams type show, which, oh, sure. I, you know what I'm saying, where mm-hmm. I'm sure she has a dedicated fan base, but, you know, it's not uncommon for you to walk through Times Square um, and have staffers with clipboards for shows like that out there trying to, you know, bark you in to be in there or even pay you uh, or bribe you to be in their studio audience just to fill the house. Hmm. So those type of things, the audiences are less excited uh, to be there, um, especially when you're only there because you're getting 50 bucks or, or, or a turkey sandwich or something. <laughs> whereas, you know, whereas, and, and the reason I'm saying that is to point out how lucky I am that the audiences for the Daily Show and Colbert, and now even it's starting with 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 the nightly show because we're a couple months old. Um, people, you know, they have to they have to go into a lottery system just to get tickets yeah. because of demand, and then people plan their vacations around when they get their tickets. You know oh, wow. that that is very like I said that that is a daily occurrence at the Daily Show, and and it was a daily occurrence at, at Colbert, and. It won't be, you know, come this summertime, I know that'll be happening with the nightly show as well. That people are like, okay, we got our tickets here, and then they get their airplane tickets and their hotels and everything around it. So. Those for those people, it's it, you know, it's a huge event that they've been planning for. So sometimes it's almost like my job as a warm up guy isn't even to get them warmed up. It's to get their attention focused and to kind of hone that energy in on a single point where we need it to be. Interesting. And so, are you working collaboratively? Is your material feed into the shows you work with at all, or uh, are they pretty independent? They're yeah, they're one hundred percent independent. The stand up and the warm up are totally different animals. Um, I don't do any of my stand up when I'm doing the warm up. In fact, 
the warm-up is all, um, it's all crowd work. The comedy part. Like, the first right. five minutes, the first five minutes is, is, uh, of my warm-up is the same pretty much night to night, which is, because there are, there are X amount of things that the producers of the show need me to relay to the audience and messages I need to get out. And I've, I've found a way to, to get those messages out to them. And, and incorporate some punchlines, um, <laughs> you know, and, and to get them laughing and, and cheering during that business as usual stuff. But then after that, um, it's, it, it's all crowd work and, and just doing straight stand up is a different energy and, uh, and a different beast. So I, I, I've, I've maintained two completely separate entities between the two. Nice. Yeah. So speaking of stand up and comedy and everything, I, I understand that, uh, you helped get George Carlin Way named George Carlin Way in honor of George Carlin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was my baby. I did that. I I came up uh I had the idea about I guess about almost 4 years ago now and it um I live in the same neighborhood where George Carlin grew up, and and um, I I'm a fan, and and it, it, one day I, I I made a little mini pilgrimage to go over to actually find the building and to see his school, and you know, and, and to see that area. Um, and I'm I'm of the opinion that um, to a George Carlin fan, West 121st Street, that's that's your Abbey Road. I mean, that's where yeah. so much of his stuff happened, and and it was so much of his life. And 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 so much of his uh, his character came from that neighborhood that it's it's yeah. it was strange to me when I went over there a few years ago and there was no there was nothing there was no sign in the building there was no street sign there was absolutely nothing um, so I started uh, to petition the city to, um, to to name the street after him and that entailed literally standing up in that street and getting people to sign um you know to to sign a piece of paper or a petition and then an online petition and then um it became a political campaign that lasted three years before we actually got that sign hung but it's there now wow. and uh yeah it's pretty cool that, that's it's that's cool. where uh his dog tippy came from right <laughs> Uh, well, I, everything. I'm, I, he he moved to that block. His mother moved them there when he was about three or four years old, and they maintained that apartment until almost until she died. Uh, they moved. They ended up moving her out of there in the 1970s, I think. Okay. His mom. Uh, you know, and and he um he maintained. You know, even when he didn't live there anymore, they didn't have that apartment there anymore. Uh, he still that neighborhood, and and you know the the neighborhood was a much more close-knit community than it is now in New York um, when you grow up there. I mean, now that it, neighborhood is all Columbia University and is is it's all dorms, basically. Huh. Um, but back then, you know, you grew up and those were his friends and, yeah. and those, fam those families did keep their apartments there for 40, 50 years. So he was always going back anytime he was in the area and visiting and hanging out and... and um, and and he just to to this day i mean after he died he um he was cremated and his ashes were sprinkled throughout various uh various points throughout that neighborhood as well so it was a really important place for him it was home for him and if you listen to like his earlier albums like my favorites were always like class clown and occupation fool <laughs> um and those those albums were basically like set there they're almost like time capsules yeah. they were set in that neighborhood so all of the for for all of those reasons is really why uh, why I wanted to do it and why I thought it was something that should be done and 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 why 
uh, I was glad to, to do it, even even though it, it took up three years of my life. <laughs> I was happy to do it. What were some of the speed bumps you ran into uh, making that happen? I mean, that's that's an absolute labor of love. Yeah. I'd imagine there were probably some uh, some snafus that would have made there Carlin was... uh, pretty amused. Yeah, well, yes, there was. The the one speed bump that we hit was, uh, was Corpus Christi Church, which is the Catholic Church, and it's the Catholic Church that's on his street, and he went to that school um he you know his his mother was a parishioner of the church his daughter kelly was actually baptized in that church um the reason they even moved to that block originally was was because of the school and his mother wanted him to be able to go to that school to get his education without having to cross a street so he is their most famous most celebrated alum and he is uh he's a product of what they had back then which was kind of like a very progressive almost like um, a Montessori type of, of school where there weren't grades, there weren't uniforms, you know, those things you think of of a Catholic school, especially in the, the 30s and 40s, right. you know, um, with the capital, the, uh, the corporal punishment and the, uh, you know, very, very, you know, getting your knuckles rubbed. And, oh, sure. And, uh, you know. Blues Brothers penguin kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was, um, it was a place where, you know, he said you learned just for the joy of learning and there weren't grades and there, it was this new experiment which now looking back was like the perfect garden for his mind to grow and to flourish and and thank god that he went there and didn't just go to some ps interchangeable you know and so it's really sad that um corpus christi uh doesn't embrace him and and in fact were the ones to fight us on this um the the priest was in charge of corpus christi at the time was this real crotchety old 85 year old miserable just just a he was terrible. He had personal gr- grudges against George. Uh, he had personal beefs with him, and and it just so happens that he was the one in charge of Corpus Christi at the time. If it was somebody else in charge of Corpus Christi, I I think you know uh, they would have embraced us and and made it a lot easier. But he started a campaign against us, and uh, although he wasn't able to muster much of a of a fight, uh, we you know when you're in a talking democracy, it comes down to numbers. Um, he was able to to come on strong to show up to one community board meeting with about 20 or 30 old house coat wearing church ladies half of them didn't speak english but in a tiny room um you know 20 people really dominant yeah. and so he came on strong um but what what happened was it uh that's when the press became involved and it became a national news story of local comedian battling the catholic church about george carlin and about decency and and they were making this whole thing of he wanted to protect children and while he's making his case in the press that he's protecting children he's a catholic church, catholic priest and the next page over is a catholic <laughs> priest being arrested for literally there was a newspaper the daily news i think the pay, one side, the left hand page was this this the priest leading a fight to protect children and the right hand page was a priest in cuffs doing a perp walk for being a pedophile like oh yeah, my gosh i'm just imagining you being in the midst of this and you have awesome. to be thinking the whole time how much material carlin would have gotten yeah. out of <laughs> out of this this just whole debacle that you well, we all all of us how much fun we had with this and how much we enjoyed it and and we knew like i always knew going through this was a no-brainer and he was a very uh very very limited minority uh in his opinion on this and and i could tell just from standing up on that corner you know we got 500 signatures um standing up uh, 
pen and paper. And, you know, out of those, you know, just out of those 500 people that we got so- signed, I, I probably only had eight or 10 ever say no, you know, say, you know, there's obviously thousands who just walk past yeah. you, but who actually actively say, no, I disagree. I knew the numbers were, were for us. So he ended up in the time that we had of, you know, we we became a national news story. We had our 500 signatures. We put up um, an online petition, and we ended up with with roughly 10,000 signatures oh, all wow. total. It was just under that. I'm rounding up, but not by too many. Uh, and he was able to get 80 completely. Oh. And he did, this is how old and out of touch he was. He did a letter-writing campaign. So he was, every week, was in his pulpit telling his congregation, you know, talking about us, uh, uh, that they need, you know, riling up the troops and asking the right letters. He had 80. We had triple that amount just on that one block, that one section of street that he had total. And we had nearly 10,000. So um, it took three years. That was one of the things that caused a delay. But that was the only the only fight we ever had to put up was against them. And, uh, you know, but um, it took them out of the equation. And then it was smooth sailing from there on out. Nice. What ended up happening was the community board, after like about 18 months of back and forth, just finally said, this is the compromise. You have to take this or you're never getting out of out of here, <laughs> which was we won't we won't we didn't get to name that 500 block stretch. We named the 400 block stretch, which was from Amsterdam Avenue east to the park instead of, you know, Amsterdam Avenue west to Broadway. OK, so what that meant was the section of road that's that's named is not the section of road where Corpus Christi is. Um, it's still called West 121st. And you can send mail to somebody on the 400 block, and it's still there at 405 West 121st Street or 405 George Carlin. You know what I'm saying? It's I get either. It, yeah. But they didn't. But symbolically, the church is the Corpus Christi is not on George Carlin Way, and then they really had no leg to stand on, and they they got what they wanted. And and to tell you the truth, um, it really it pissed me off uh, that that you know. We had, in a democracy, we had so many more uh, in our favor than them that it should have been, that's it, we get what we want. But the community board, um, you know, to, to this day, a, a, a priest still has some political juice. And his his what he wants, the community board decided, is more important than what everyone else wants. So we had to, to cotton down to him. Um, and it really bothered me when all of a sudden it kind of dawned on me what a perfect situation it really turned out to be because, you know, for for a, a, a counterculture legend, for someone who who uh, spent so much of his time telling you to to question authority, to, you know, to everything was against blind faith, was against religion, against this bullshit. For, for just the added symbolism that his sign is 75 feet to the right of where we wanted it to be for one reason, because even in death, his message is a threat to the powers that be. It's a threat to the church, is everything else. And why is it there? It's because they're afraid of him. So once I, once I, I came to that realization, then I was like, well, this is the perfect place for this to be. Oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> and the thing was, and like I said, if, if you actually, you can, um, you could go on YouTube and you can actually see uh, the speech I gave um, that day and, and the various different speeches is speeches that were given from that ceremony. But the thing I said in that speech was, 
was the beauty of it of that symbolically, and then how I'm I'm anticipating it backfiring. It's like he the the priest was always afraid that the children would see the sign and be like, "Who's this guy?" Google him and and all that. Well, now he's over there; they can still see it. It's only seventy five feet away. You don't even have to squint. <laughs> and now he's there, kids, because your principal doesn't want you to see it. Does that make that less or more appealing to these kids? <laughs> oh my you know god! Uh, like, yeah. how big can that be? Right, right, even. <laughs> Even from beyond, picking uh, exactly. up a stir. <laughs> exactly. So there it is. So if anybody's listening, and when you come to New York City, and right now the sign is on the Morningside Park end um, because of construction uh, at Amsterdam, which should be wrapping up very shortly, in which case the sign will hang on both ends of the street. Then you can go up, you can get your picture taken under it. It'll be uh, it'll be there forever. Nice. Oh, that's great. And then we're staying with you when we come to New York. <laughs> Well, this is what I tell people, and nobody's taking me up on this, is tweet me uh, ahead of time, and I'll come meet you up there. I'll take a picture under it, and, uh, and you know. So I, I understand, Kevin, you know, in addition to all this stuff that you've got going on, you also put out albums. You've got a new album coming come on out, or did it already come out? Yeah, no, my second comedy album, it just came out in January. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's called The Unintentionally White Album, and... Uh, my first album was called Showing the Horses Who's Boss. And yeah, they're they're both both full length, uh, you know, basically an hour long stand up um, recorded in front of a live audience, all that. And uh, both are available on iTunes and Amazon and uh, all those other great websites where you can buy and download and, and such. And you can find it at kevinbartini.com as well. Now, when you record one of those things, I've always wondered, is it all just one show, or do you record, like, a number of your shows and kind of put together the best bits from each one? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a little bit closer to the second thing, which is you, basically what you what you do when you, when you tape one of these things, you do two or three tapings, you take the best one, uh, and that should be about 85% of what the, what your final product is, you have... You kind of have the other shows as a safety, as a backup. There's, you know, there, there's a thing. Usually what, what'll happen is, is if, uh, you know, maybe in the setup or something, maybe I stumble over a word or stutter, yeah. you can, you know, you can kind of crop. And also you have different angles and, and different things, uh, that you can get in to, to give your, your final product a more better look. So we ended up taping this album, um, for television, but the videographer we hired was, um, a Total jerk off, and he uh, he really he he, uh, he he basically he didn't adjust two of the three cameras for the spotlight, so I ended up whited out, washed over out, exposed. yeah, yeah, oh, washed out, right, and then he didn't check his work in between shows, so all three shows were like that and unusable. So I I record I was able to take the the audio and put it out as an album, and on the cover of the album, um, you see it's like looks like a film strip with about four or five of the images of of this guy's <laughs> video, and that's why it's called the unintentionally white album because yeah, I you're not you're like it. an instagram that's fantastic yeah yeah it looks like instagram exactly so um yeah so we put that out as an album instead that's funny yeah but that's basically how you do it you do a couple of shows you know and uh and then you you know you take the best show and then the others you, the other shows you have for parts i kind of anticipated doing three um the game plan was the early show was just kind of batting practice uh the second show was the main show and then the third one was for fun for extra parts and 
and I ended up going and doing other bits, going longer, some dirtier stuff. So like there's there's a part of this album called Can We Swear on Your Podcast? Uh, I the only thing I ever bleep out is the F bomb. So I mean yeah. Okay. So it's called the pumpkin F bomb and it's um <laughs> It's basically, you guys know the, you remember the documentary The Aristocrats? You know that joke? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I saw The Aristocrats about when it, when it was in the theaters years ago, and um, I decided I wanted to do my own Aristocrats-style joke, but not do The Aristocrats. So I created a scene where I went to the Halloween parade in the village and saw a guy having sex with a pumpkin. And then all the added stuff I could add to it and add to it. And it ended up being like a 20-minute bit that I cut down and, and, and then tightened back up to about six or seven minutes that I would do on the road and and um, that's an example of something that I did on the third show just as an added bonus and then I ended up throwing onto the album because it, it sounded good and I liked yeah. it so yeah. well I imagine yeah. you also gauge um, the audience participation and how the audience reacts and pick like the best reactions right yeah uh, to, to a point my, my, my first thing is how I sound how my delivery is did I get the the points of the bit in that I wanted uh, and how you know that's that's what's most important okay. and obviously if the if if the bit tanks then no I, I like to have some little ebbs in there and, and some quiet time so okay. um, I don't you know you know what I'm saying yeah. I, don't, I, I, I want it to I want it to come across when you listen to it as if you are actually there seeing a very good facsimile of what it would be like when you hear me do a full hour so I I that's a long way of saying if I have two two different recordings and on one the audience is sounding a lot louder I may still opt for the other one if you know even if it's maybe I forgot one line of the bit well then I'll use the other one where it's, where the audience isn't as into it but the the bit in its entirety is there I see I see yeah. I just always wondered if you if like as a comedian if you go along you know I, I, I just notice sometimes like laughter brings laughter so if people you know yeah. you hear people laughing it makes you tend to laugh a little bit easier maybe yeah well that's definitely when you're in a communal experience in a comedy club, okay. for sure, you know, absolutely, um, it builds. Uh, I and I guess that that probably I've never really thought about it when I'm listening alone to something. But um, for me, I'm I'm just really a you know I, I'm a real student of the masters and of George Carlin and, and Richard Pryor and yeah. uh, you know guys like that and, and 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 Bill Cosby and and Jerry Seinfeld and how. What I'm listening to when I when I listen to the albums, and maybe this is because I'm a comedy nerd and and it's what I I'm a practitioner <laughs> of. My focus is on the comedian and on the material and on how every word is there for a purpose and yeah. there's nothing extra. But you know, I, I don't know. I'm going into this a little deep on you, <laughs> but really, there there are there there are plenty of laughs on the album, and you know, I, the, the audience is definitely represented well. Well, I like um, to learn the process, so it's very informative yeah. for me and very I, I like learning how these things are go about and get set up and and what your choices are when you're putting together an album like this. You know, so even yeah. though you're going a little deep on it, it's very helpful. And, and uh, I appreciate good. it. Yeah, oh, good. And it'd be disappointing if yeah. if you're the guy who does the pumpkin bit. It'd be oh. a little disappointing if you didn't go deep with it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think with each comedian, it's different. I you know, and and I guess with this album, you know, my motivation isn't look what I can do. You know what I'm saying? And I think if your motivation is look what I can do and aren't I great, I think you're you'd be more opting for well, this bit the, the audience is uh, you know a, a, a decibel louder than on that recording so and i think that's where you end up cutting and pasting and, and a lot more or, or sweetening uh, i don't sweeten the last i just um i i had i i ended up 
taking the second of the three shows, as I had planned, and it is, I, I, I would say probably 80, 85% straight through of yeah. the same, uh, of the it same It probably show. feels more natural that way when you listen to it, too, though. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think so. The only, yeah, and, uh, the, you know, the, the, the only difference you can hear when you listen to it is, you know, from bit to bit, it depends on from which camera we were recording the audio through, you know, of where I can get the better sound and stuff like sure. that. So, um, but we did our best to try to, you know, to try to smooth it all out and, and, and make it sound, it, you know, there shouldn't be any real jarring transitions or anything like that. Yeah, interesting. You're also on a podcast. We review movies based on having only seen their previews. <laughs> And and it's something I started um, probably about four years ago. I started doing them on my own, on my com- just me on my computer, just writing a review, which which ended up being about ten minutes of of jokes um, about whatever movie. And um, I brought Adam in early on to to kind of be a producer on it. Um, pitch me some jokes, uh, pick out movies he thought would be good. And we did that for a while. And then um, I ended up giving up on it. It was very popular, but I uh, I didn't like the format. I, I didn't like, you know, just by virtue of the format, every movie I reviewed basically had to be terrible <laughs> in order or just look like absolute crap in order for me to be able to write 10 minutes jokes at its expense, you know. And frankly, Adam Sandler and Tyler Perry only do a movie or two a year each. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a long dry spell. Yeah, it's a long dry spell. And I didn't want, and also, you don't want to be, even though Adam Sandler's putting out an awful movie every nine months, you don't want to be doing the same jokes again and again. And that's what I was feeling like I was in danger of falling into. And I also, I also didn't like that everybody knew listening in, okay, Kevin's going to shit on a movie. <laughs> there was never, you know, with a review, there's no suspense. It's it, it's it's always, okay, this guy hates it, you know? You, you, so I, I, I stopped doing that. But I always liked the idea, and I always, uh, in, in some format. And so... Um, Last year, uh, I, I I called Adam back up and I said, I want to get this back up and running, but I had an idea for a new format, which is what we're doing now. And it's uh, it's 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 a round table discussion. Um, and, and I have a special guest on every episode who is usually a comedian. Um, and then I have Adam as the producer. Um, he's the only person who knows what movies we're going to see. Okay. So he shows us previews and myself and my guest riff on it. I have a co-host. I have actually I have a co-host and then um, my wife is also on the show uh, as another of the co-hosts and then there's Adam who is the producer but is also on mic so what what happens is um, now it opens us up to do three or four episode or uh, movies per episode sometimes I like the movie sometimes I don't but it, it you know somebody at the table because there's four or five of us and we have different tastes you know we, we end up in a conversation and a spirited debate and it sometimes goes off on a, on a tangent but um, it, it now it's what I want and it's it, it kind of has the feeling of you're going to the movies and sitting through the previews before the main attraction and you're sitting there with your friends and they're cracking on the movie it just so happens that your friends are way funnier than your real <laughs> friends and you know so that's kind of the, the mode we're going for and we're getting some really cool comics and um, 
and you know, and and you know, Adam uh, is is an integral part of it as the producer, and and you know, he has a mic and he pipes in a lot, and uh, he and I have different tastes. He's he's definitely he and our our and Jay, one of my co-producers, are definitely much more into the uh, you know the nerd culture, into the superhero movies and the Star Wars and that kind of stuff, and that's not where my tastes go. So we can we can butt heads on that, and and you know, Jessica comes in and 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 she's into the chick flicks and stuff. So everybody has their own sensibilities. And, and, and so every movie is in some way getting a more fair shake. Cause even if it is an Adam Sandler movie, somebody at the table may find some, and you know, with our guests too, may find something redeeming while we're bashing it and, and whatnot. Um, right. And that but, person doesn't get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> no, they always invite it back. They do good. They're interesting. They'll come back, you know, but do it's, you find yeah. it hard to, uh, to make it funny when, when you really find your life. Something is that a different kind of challenge? No, no, you know what? It's not. Interestingly enough, because, like I said, because somebody will dislike it, or, right. or sometimes, you know, because we're not like, like I, I told this to the guys just this this past week. We're not Siskel and Ebert. You know what I'm saying? We are a movie preview, you know, a review, but it's review and name only. Like mm-hmm. we ended up, for an example, we ended up um, talking about this movie called Chef, John Favreau's new movie that's now streaming, um, which was just kind of a middle of the road nobody seemed excited about it nobody liked it nobody hated it it was just kind of a blah and so instead of spending a lot of time really getting into that movie and reviewing it we used it we used the movie in the preview as kind of like a suggestion like if you're doing a improv you know the movie is just a suggestion it would be no different than somebody give us a word and somebody yells out right it's a prompt mm-hmm. exactly it's a prompt so so with that movie that was just kind of you know didn't really spike on anybody's love or hate we ended up in a conversation where we found out that adam has has like no passion for food like to him it's food is just a food is just a fuel source and he could go every day eating a chicken breast and a peanut butter sandwich and be fine and i don't so understand like that, that ended up being much more interesting for me and for jay and became what we discussed for five minutes and then we moved on to the next the only things that i find difficult on the show were it only happened once but he he picked out a movie that was about uh about a serial child killer and that was tough like you like i like you got to be wary of what the subject matter is and what we're going to end up talking about because it's tough to make a child killer funny you know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's yeah. tough to go off on, on, it's just like in, in comedy, you know, if, if, uh, it, you know, cancer, dead kids, 9-11, AIDS, those, those things generally are tough to make funny, rape, you know? So when, the, when, when, if there's a movie about, uh, you know, the 9-11 rapist, it's probably not going to be wildly funny and maybe not good fodder for us. But, um, if it's something that, you know, that looks like I'll love, like, like the new Liam Neeson movie, I think looks cool, but we can easily talk for five minutes about Liam Neeson doing the same movie again and again and again. <laughs> Jessica hates that. I think it's cool. I'll, I'm, I'm in. Anytime you want to have Liam Neeson kick the shit out of somebody, I'm cool with that, you know? members. That's the hard part. <laughs> well, you kind of know how that's going to be. You're the kidnapper. <laughs> exactly. Right, there we are again. Yeah, you don't want to take anyone from his family. <laughs> no. So, uh, that podcast, of course, is on iTunes, right? Yeah, yep. It's called the Movie Preview Review Podcast. And you can find it uh, on iTunes. There's a webpage for it, moviepreviewreview.com. We're all over the place. And uh, we just started our new 
you know, in this new iteration where we just started it back in January, um, and some of, and so we've loaded some of what we're calling the classic episodes, which are the ones where it was just me from a few years ago. And, uh, but now we're in a permanent studio. We've got a permanent team that I like, great guests coming in. Um, and, and so we're just really getting the ball rolling on it, but I can already feel the momentum start to shift and start to build for us. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. So do you have anything else coming down the pipe or any exciting news for the future or? Really right now, um, right now I'm, my, my focus is, you know, on the, on the podcast. That's, that's a big one. The album is out, so I'm in the process of starting to write new material and, and go hit, you know, clubs and smaller rooms and stuff here in New York and, and do the, the TV audience warm up. So there isn't, yeah. um, beyond that, there's nothing big coming up. Um, I'm, I'm going to be doing, I just got cast and I'll be doing a documentary, uh, this spring and that'll come out, I think in the fall. Um, but I'm, I'm just right, right now I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be, to be working for the nightly show and, and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of still, uh, figuring out my schedule. You know, I gotta be there a couple hours. So how do I do my days? I want to, you know, I'm thinking of getting, taking on a, a writing project, maybe a, a book or something like that and, and, and stand up and, I just kind of feel like right now I'm at the at the at a, a little juncture where there's new things that are about to happen, and I'm I'm kind of you know glad to have the album down and behind me, and and uh, and, and now it's like oh what what new projects do I want to take on because I have yeah. I have some, you know finally I have some financial stability thanks to this show, and I have uh, you know I, I have a lot of cool things happening, so now I'm I've, I've kind of got this oh what do you know, what do you want to do next? What can I focus <laughs> on? So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that feeling. Yeah, of course, yeah. You always got your eyes and your ears open. You're just like, okay, what's coming now? What can I do now that I have this time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's less of a, there's less of a scramble because all my, all my warm-up stuff in the past have been, um, I was, you know, somebody's backup or I was one of the guys. So there was no, there was nothing stable. I didn't know from week to week if I was doing the show, how many episodes, month to month. I had no, you know, I still had to be doing a lot of road. So now, thanks to this show, I don't have to go out and do the road as much. So it's opening up more time in the city, more more opportunities. So it's a this is the first steady job I've had since 1999. Um, wow. I'm only. Yeah, I'm only about two months into it, so it's really it's like figuring out this new lifestyle, and, and, <laughs> and you know, and 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 I'm happy that I have the the podcast that I can do, and I'm like, well, what else can we, you know, what other exciting things can we do? Um, and and it's pretty it's pretty exciting. I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the year, and hopefully by the end of the year, I'll have some new cool things that I can look back on. Awesome, yeah. This it's it's always great when you can let your creative juices fly, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, well. Let them fly without, without, in, in the absence of that feeling of, you know, if this doesn't work, I'm completely screwed, yeah. <laughs> or you know, or or having to do, you know, having to take on a, a, a road gig that's that's lousy just because you need to make the rent, or or some writing gig that you don't believe in or you're not excited about just to make the rent. Like it's just nice knowing, okay, I've got this one less thing that I really have to worry about. Um, and then, and then the other, the, the other side of that coin is, uh, is being mindful of the danger of getting too comfortable and, 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 you know, uh, taking my eye off the ball that at the end of the day, I don't want to be a warm up guy forever. I want, I aspire to go higher than that. So I have to not be lazy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Always keep your eye out for that next opportunity and then grab it when it comes. 
Exactly, exactly. And be and be sure when you grab it that you're ready to give it your best effort, and you've you've built your uh, you built your machine so that you can do that. Yeah. So you know, since we're a geek show, I always have to ask the guests, "What do you geek out about? What are you really into?" Um, for me, what I I've been uh, well, my thing was always comedy. Like I I wanted to be a comic since I was six years old. So all all growing up, my nerddom was was stand up and was comedy and was sketch and stuff like that and uh so I never got into the the comic books or the sci-fi and things like that sure, uh, yeah, that sure. wasn't my foray but I was nerdy for that and um and I'm kind of re uh, I'm I'm kind of rekindling a bit of a love with that as a fan um because the 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 downside of becoming a comic when you are a comedy nerd is you don't you know you your perspective, your lens changes, and I don't watch stand-up the way uh, somebody who's not in it watches it. I okay. watch it now as a practitioner and not as a fan. So I'm 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 kind of lately finding that I'm I'm getting back into watching stand-up, watching watching clips of guys who I'm not in competition with is a nice thing, you know, watching. Finding YouTube clips of guys from the '70s, or you know, people like Red Fox, or uh, or, or Carlin, and or, or uh, Lenny Bruce, and that kind of thing. So I, I geek out on that a lot, um, and 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 sketch, and, and going and rewatching Kids in the Hall, <laughs> and rewatching old oh, yeah. SNL, and and finding other just cool random sketch people. And I over the last few years, um, I studied at you know and took improv classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade. So. Getting, you know, I definitely one of the things I want to start doing again is getting back, even though I did their four levels, maybe going and taking some advanced classes or getting into some other things and just watching, watching sketch and watching improv and, and that, that kind of stuff, um, is what I geek out on. And, and then in, in the non-comedy world, it's, uh, you know, I, I just enjoy, I enjoy reading. I've got, uh, I just, you know, with my first, you know, about a month or so ago, I got myself a new, um, a new Mac or uh, iPad, uh, so that I, I, you know, have uh, I've always got some book or two going and 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 with me at all times, and and uh, so I'm enjoying you know reading more and and um, I don't know, it's it's strange. I'm just I, like I said, now I'm finding that I'm starting to have some more free time and a little bit more. Um, I'm just coming up with this. Well, what do you want to do with your time? How do you yeah. want to spend it? You know, because I've I've been doing the easy thing, which is sitting and, and playing video games, <laughs> and that's that's uh, you know that 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 can chew up a couple oh, of yeah. hours. But uh, but I'm really you know I'm not enriching myself in any way. I'm not being creative. I'm just kind of uh, existing on those. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm looking actually looking for something new to geek out on. Football season's over. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the market for something. So I, I want to ask you, so some of the comedians, like you've mentioned, you know, you like George Carlin, you know, you mentioned, uh, Richard yeah. Pryor, of course. Um, yeah. is there anyone that really stands out to you? Cause like, like recently, just to throw a name out there, I, like I always, when I was, it was probably in the early nineties, I hit on mm-hmm. Jake Johannesson and I just loved his yeah. comedy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, is there anybody right. that really stands out to you either in the past or in recent years that you, that you're just like, wow, this guy is amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Well, my favorite comedian parentheses living is David Tell, uh, and, uh, and Brian Regan. I, I absolutely are geniuses. And so I love those guys. I love Jim Norton. I love Bill Burr. Um, I love Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, but then there's the guys who, who are, are from the past or not 
maybe not doing it as much anymore or, or are dead um, that are, you know, like, the, I don't know if you remember a, a guy from, from the, he, he died in the 80s, uh, right kind of at the peak of his career. His name was Dennis Wolfberg, and he was very, very funny, very uh, original, um, very in, an odd-looking character with kind of th- this wiry, curly hair and these bulging eyes and this delivery that was just, it was so unique. And, and, and I, I like watching his stuff and, and Stephen Wright and uh, Paula Poundstone. And, um, I mean, the list, <laughs> the list is, is, is endless, you know, because and because that is what I was a geek for when I was a kid. So re-watching... You know, a, a set of of Paula Poundstones from the '80s or Stephen Wrights from the '80s. It's it's it still holds up comedy yeah. wise, but it's also like there's a there's a nostalgia factor for me as well. It's like oh, this is something I loved when I was a kid that I can still love and enjoy. Right, and you can look back and see just how many things have been built on that. Uh, yeah, while it still stands up on its own. Oh yeah, well that's one of the funny things about watching old comedy is is you you have to remind yourself this is not hack. What you're watching is not hack. It's the fact that everybody else ripped it off. Like, yes. like, like. There's this thing like with um, Bob Newhart, whose comedy I love. I love his stuff. And, and one of the things that'll take you out of it is he'll start a bit, oftentimes, and say it'll. And I think it would sound a little something like this. <laughs> and it was. I listened to it. I was like, and, and, and eventually, and I, I was like, oh, that's so hack. You know, it's such a not for him to do it, but just that radar goes off, and then I was like, "Oh, he's the guy who invented that." You know, right. that wasn't hacked yeah. back then. Right, that and was... somebody else ran it into the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or like a lot of like Jerry Seinfeld stuff from the '80s was so ripped off and so stylized. And when you, you know, now when you when somebody does their impression of a hack comedian out of the 80s they're doing jerry seinfeld which is not fair because yeah, he, he originated yeah. it, you know when you're just doing some dude going what's the deal with this you're doing jerry seinfeld but you're calling it hack because so many people just stole yeah. his style yeah yeah his his i hope one day that i can look back in 50 years and be like oh shit that seems hack now <laughs> because so many people ripped me up Right. I think that's like the top compliment yeah. you can give. Right. You're like, Bartini did it first. Why are you not <laughs> listening to this? It's true. You can always tell. It's interesting. You can tell um, a good barometer of who the who the popular comic of the day is, as far as other younger comics, who's the influential guy, by going to an open mic and watching the new guys and, and seeing whose style they're aping. Because it takes a long time to get your own style and whatnot, but... You know, you you'd sit in there. You know, when I was when I was starting out, it was guys, myself included, were doing like Lewis Black, and then you would see guys doing Dave Attell, and you'll see these guys doing Todd Barry and doing these these different uh, different types of things. And I always find that interesting. If you, I think that's a good barometer for who's who's hot and who's influential. It's just to watch who the open micers are subconsciously channeling. Nice, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't go. I don't think I go to a whole lot of open mic stuff around here right now. Yeah, you're better off not, unless you have to be there. <laughs> Just see what they chum the waters with. Exactly. Watch the sharks go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I go to them to work out material from time to time, but uh, bang for your buck entertainment value, you can certainly do better than an open mic. That's for sure. Well, it's uh, I usually like to record for around 40, 45 minutes, and we've uh, reached that mark, if you're good. Yeah. Okay. Kevin, cool. well, thank you guys. Yeah, for Kevin, I wanted to just say thanks for coming on with us. Um, yeah, it was really great learning. I just like learning the process, and 
a lot of things that you brought up and, and talked about really taught me how you go about developing mm-hmm. these comedy albums and what it's like to be a comedian up on stage and things. And I always like to learn something new, and you've definitely sent some things my oh, way cool. that I can chew on in my brain, you know? <laughs> Oh, good, good, man, good. Yeah, any any time you see, um, you know, when it comes to, to comedy and, and an album and stuff, uh, you know, the, the the best guys make it look like it's coming off the top of their head, but it's uh, it's just a it's a it's a process of trial and error and finding what works and building off of that. So it's a I, I've always really enjoyed the process. Uh, of stand-up and uh, of comedy. So if you got some enjoyment out of that, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. I just like to learn the new, the ways and how things are put together, you know. Mm-hmm. And Lee, I want to thank you for joining us as one of the co-hosts today. You bet. My pleasure. I had a great time. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Kevin. You know, this was a great chat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah thanks, guys. And and just check out, if you don't mind, hit, uh, hit up kevinbartini.com and find me on Twitter and... Uh, Check out the album and the podcast, and 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 be, you know, let let me know if you like them, and if you don't, let me know that as well. I'm always interested to hear feedback, uh, yeah. both good and bad. And uh, next time I'm in New York City, I'll have to check out one of your shows. Oh, <laughs> please do. That'd be cool. Yeah, I'd love to uh, see both you and Adam. Now that we've talked to each of you guys on the show, yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, thank thanks you for having me for coming on. on, Kevin. We'll talk thanks to you later. Right, Kevin. Bye. All right, y'all. Take care. Bye. 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 Super Awesome Geek Show with John Adams, Jason Rigdon, Eric Locke, Matt B, and Rob Clifford. The Super Awesome Geek Show is part of Kingdom of the Geeks. We put up new episodes every Friday. You can find us on iTunes and on the website at superawesomegeekshow.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash superawesomegeekshow. Follow us on Twitter at awesomegeekshow. And if you'd like to help, you can support us on Patreon, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash superawesomegeekshow. Or make one of the purchases of our fine toys, art, and collectibles on the eBay store. Stores.ebay.com slash Kingdom of the Geeks. All your support does help, and we really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to be on the show, just contact us, superawesomegeekshow at gmail.com. Well, that about wraps it up. Thanks a lot for listening, and see you next Friday on the Super Awesome Geek Show!